break, we're going to get into God's Word. Do you have a copy of God's Word? Just pull it out right now. If you've got a copy of God's Word, pull it out right now, because you're going to need it today. And we've got some people that are going to be coming down the aisle right now. If you didn't bring God's Word, this isn't shame time. That's okay. Put up your hand. You're going to need it today, because we're going to go word by word, verse by verse, through God's Word. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, the Bible, then we want you to have this at home. We want you to read it. In fact, the, the, um, the particular letter we're going to be looking at today is 1 Peter, and it's really applicable to your life in this world. And it's at the closer to the end of the Bible if you're new to the Bible, so make sure you get to, into 1 Peter, and we're going to uh, get jump into that. We're going to dive in that t- together today. Really, we're going to be starting in 1 Peter chapter 4, but if, if you get the concept of how a letter is written, if you just jump into the middle of a letter, you might miss what the whole letter is about right? So if I, if I uh, was to write you a letter and you just looked at the end hoping to get the whole of what the letter's about, you might be missing pieces of the letter. Has anybody here ever done MapQuest before, like back in the day? Uh, for those young people, that's, you had to print off instructions to get to your location, all right? You still went onto the interweb, all right? But you got these instructions. If you just took the last page of the instructions, and those who have used MapQuest before know there's tons of pages in the instructions, right? And if you miss some of these some of these bits and pieces, you may end up in the wrong place. In the same way with God's Word, we need to know the big picture. We need to understand the full map in order to understand where we are in it. So I want to do, if you will, a little bit of an introduction to 1 Peter as we talk about uh, as we talk about this lesson today, let's look at First Peter chapter 1 and 2. He gives us his, a little bit of an introduction to the letter that he writes. It says this in First Peter chapter one, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here we see uh, Peter's introduction to this letter, but we also see something really, really sweet. As a little side note, you've got to see that all the members of the Trinity, God the Father, God, God, God the Spirit, and God the Son, were all involved, Christian, in your salvation. See, it's he that initiated, it's he that caused us to be born again into the living hope that we are singing about today. It's he that has started this process, and that's a big piece to understanding the rest of it, because he gives us a title here that's really important that we're going to get to, which is really the theme of today's message. But first, we see some things about this letter. It's written by Peter. If you're not familiar with who Peter is, Peter is one of the guys that lives with Jesus How cool would that be, right? To walk with Jesus for three years. Peter had Jesus in his house. Peter slept next to Jesus. He talked with him on the road as they're walking. He got instruction as to how to build God's church. He heard heard about Jesus preaching a kingdom, a kingdom that he was ushering in, and he was ultimately the king of. And this, this Peter is giving himself, it's, it's not just something he gives himself, it's a title that Jesus has given him. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. What does this word apostle mean? It means sent one. In other words, his king has sent him. King Jesus has sent 
Peter, and therefore, he's coming, and he's writing this word to you, to me, and ultimately to these churches in modern-day Turkey. And he's writing it with a sense of authority, having apostleship and having come as a sent one from the king. And he writes it to who? He writes it to these churches, these Christians, these elect exiles. You can see it's kind of like a a name for them, an identity, really, that they, that they can hang on to. I am an elect exile. I live in these churches, but guess what? This is also for us, too. You are an elect exile. What does this mean? The, the concept of being elect is being a chosen one. You've been chosen by this king to be a part of his kingdom. He, he knew you. He foreknew you. He, he called you to be his own, his sovereignly chosen ones, to be his people. And this word exiles could also be interpreted as aliens. Some of you saw online this idea we're going to be, the, the title is aliens, we need you. All right. And they're like, I, I was expecting maybe some people with tinfoil hats or something like that are going to be here today. But this concept is, is this, you are an elect alien Christian. You're, you're an exile. You're, you're, you're not home. You're a stranger. You're a foreigner. You're a sojourner here on this earth. And he's saying this to these people who, who might call their home somewhere in Turkey, all right? But their real home is not here, amen? And in the same way, you might call Port Sydney or Huntsville your home, but that, my friends, is but a temporary stay. You are temporary residents here, and you have a kingdom to come, a kingdom that you are a part of, a kingdom that's in waiting for you and I, amen? When is he writing this? To be clear, when we're talking about being foreigners, we're not, when he's writing to these people and saying, you're foreigners, you're sojourners, it's not people on vacation in Florida. I mean, we, we've all had those foreign experiences where we're, we're outside of our comfort zone, outside of our normal in order to enjoy the time. But it's evident here that he's talking to a church that is going through severe persecution and suffering as they live as aliens, as they live as exiles in their temporary stay here on earth. The word suffering is repeated over and over and over throughout this, le- this letter. And so if, if you... If you understand suffering, maybe you're going through it right now. This letter is a letter not only just for them, but it's a letter to encourage us today. Anyone here suffered before? If you haven't suffered heavily before, one thing's certain, it's coming soon, right? You see, because since the day of our fall, all of humanity has become familiar with suffering. Things aren't the way they should be. Every one of us has experienced the soul-violating nature of this place that is not our home. We've experienced difficulty here, pain here, sorrow here, frustration here, fatigue here. I would encourage you, if that's you, if that's you, read through 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, you can can hear Jesus' voice, our King's voice, through this writing, saying to you today, don't be surprised by the suffering. 
Don't be discouraged in it. Don't be distracted either. I'm here. Jesus is here for you today in the midst of the suffering. And he secured a lasting hope, a living hope, that we will be with him one day and the suffering will end one day. You can hear that all throughout this letter. And, it, and, and it's important to the, these churches that are going through the suffering. In fact, it talks about a fiery trial that these guys can expect. Now, we hear fiery trial. We hear of like, oh, man, that's a really hard time. But when they hear fiery trial, they might have images in their mind because the early church at this time was persecuted with fire, quite literally. So this church understands suffering. They understand what it is to be persecuted. They understand what it is to need a letter from their king, a letter filled with grace and peace, a word of hope. And that is why, that is why Peter writes this letter, this letter of instruction to this suffering church that they might have grace, that they might have peace, that they might have hope in the midst of their journey as exiles here on earth, as aliens. And he encourages them with a few things. He encourages them, he instructs them in this. Remember, remember the good news. In the midst of your suffering, remember the gospel and the joy of the gospel that your, t- your stay here is but temporary, right? Your king is coming soon. He's coming soon, and he's going to make everything right. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to build up. He's going to encourage you. He's going to be there with you at the end, and his suffering that he experienced was temporary in the same way the suffering we experience is temporary, but in the same way that, that his glory is eternal. We get to be a part of his glory forever. And that is good news to remember in the midst of our suffering. And he encourages them then as an alien to resolve in this temporary stay to live for our king well, to represent him well in holiness, with submission to the authorities, with a, with a gracious living towards other people while here temporarily. And all of these things store up a treasure for us, a glory for us to come, a good thing ahead of us. It's a way, it's a way of living for a different reward. And then the third thing, and this is the part we're just going to focus on today, is this. He encourages them, while being aliens, being foreigners, not being home, to simply love one another. Sounds simple enough, right? Love your fellow citizens well. But as we approach God's word, we know that's difficult. So let's pray that he might work on our hearts that we might love one another. Let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, we're, we're about to get into your letter to us. Your word for us. Lord, I just pray, I pray that you would in your power, with your ability. Take your word and cut to our heart, Lord God, that we might love one another. Where you find selfishness in our hearts, Lord God, cut it away. Instead, insert your word in our heart that we might live by, that we might produce eternal fruit by, that we might glorify you well as your church in our temporary stay here. I pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, you got your Bibles?
1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to go through uh, verse 11. And, and in this, you're going to see Peter, he's going to give them a big picture. He's going to give them the command. He's going to give them a method of how to live out that command. He's going to give the reason for the command in the first place. But it, we're going to go through this section by section. We see in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Have you ever seen somebody with a cardboard sign? The end of all things is at hand. That's like doomsday, right? But this is actually good news for this church. It's good news for you and for me. The pain will be over soon. The temporary suffering that you're experiencing doesn't last for forever, and that is comforting, amen? That's comforting if you're in the midst of suffering. The end of all things is at hand. That's good news with a therefore. Therefore. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That little tag at the end, for the sake of your prayers, earlier in chapter 3, verse 12, it talks about the idea that the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. In other words, we want to live right so our prayers aren't affected in any way. But it says this before that, be, so, be self-controlled, be sober-minded. That's two ways of saying the same thing. Hey, Christian, in your temporary stay here, don't get drunk on the world and what it offers. Don't lose your perspective. Don't get intoxicated so that you, you can see, you can remember, you can note the big picture and how this story ends. Don't get distracted by this world, by this temporary suffering Christian. In verse 1, verse 13, it says this. It says, prepare your mind for action, being sober-minded. There it is again. Being sober-minded, do what? Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember the big picture. Remember your king is returning. Remember it will, it will turn out well in the end. Therefore, in the meantime, prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. In chapter 4, verse 1, it instructs us that in the midst of our suffering, we are to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as our king as he went through suffering. There's a question for us in there. How did Jesus go through suffering? It was the joy that was set before him that caused him that fueled him to endure the cross for you and I. And in the same way, we have a joy set before us that fuels us to live rightly as aliens here with eternity in mind. Remember the big picture in chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober-minded. Again, don't get drunk with this world. Don't be intoxicated. Don't let your view be distorted, your mind be distorted. Instead, be watchful. Why? Because Satan's after you. I could have named this alien versus predator because there is a predator that's after you, alien. He's after us, and he, he wants us drunk. He wants us distracted by the temporary. He wants us to indulge in the world's pleasure. So watch out, Christian. Sober up. Be sober-minded. Be self-control. Keep the big picture in mind. These words provide an opportunity for you this morning to go, am I sober? <coughs> am I self-controlled? Am I living in light of the big picture? What's my motivation for living? What am I pursuing for my satisfaction? What am I setting my hope on? 
I want to give you a question that I gave at my uncle's funeral recently. It's this. Do you live, like today, do you live to see Jesus? Do you live to see your king? To visit with him day after day, to abide with him today, but ultimately with a joy and, and, a, and a hope and, and a reason to live today set before you that you will see him one day. The end is at hand. Do you live to see Jesus? You see, this time of year, we're getting our, we're getting our plans together for 2020, right? And you could make a big play about vision. Are you going to see 2020 right? Are you going to be sober-minded about 2020? Where are you going to seek home in 2020? Are you going to seek your comfort here or there? Are you going to seek your satisfaction with him or in the temporary things? What does your calendar look like? What plans are you making for 2020? Another way of thinking of this is, what are you pursuing in 2020 with your time, with your talent, with your things that you want, those treasured things? Are all your plans things that moth and rust can destroy? Things that thieves can break in and steal? Can it be taken away? Or is it storing up treasures in heaven? Where are your treasures? This is, this is something that Jesus spoke on in the Sermon of the Mount. Where are your treasures? What are you going to pursue in 2020? And this comes with, with a, a command that follows this, this idea of being sober-minded and self-controlled. And it's not a new command of what ought to be priority for you and me. Let's look at verses 8. It says this, verse 8, above all. Whenever you see above all, and you've already had a letter that's been going on for a while, that might be a little opportunity to go, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Above all, I've just been reading for a while. What is he about to say? That's an alarm bell to us to tune in. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This is not a new commandment. This is a commandment that our king has given us, and a commandment actually found all throughout the scriptures, that we are to love one another. The first greatest commandment is what? Love God. The second is love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up all of the laws and all of the prophets. This sums up all of those sins, so to speak. Love covers all of that. Above all, love makes a whole lot of sense. But I notice how, how he, he phrases this. He doesn't just say, hey, above all, love one another in your time as aliens here. No, no, he says, above all, keep loving one another. And how? Earnestly. So what, what does that say? This idea of keep and earnestly, it implies a few things. It implies this, that love is difficult. It's not easy to love other people. It's not a time to elbow your spouse either. But really, you can do this. Everyone can do this. You're a difficult person to love. And the closer you get to the person that you seek to love, sometimes the harder it is to keep loving them. Come on. Right? We need to keep loving one another. We need to do this earnestly. It doesn't come naturally. We're naturally selfish. And love naturally is sacrificial. We need to keep pursuing love. We need to keep doing it earnestly. The fact this needs to be said to the church in this way shows us this, that as a church, 
there may be a season where you love one another really well, but that love naturally fades. We need to be purposeful in pursuing one another, in loving one another. How do we purposefully pursue love for one another? How do we do this? It's going to explain it here in just a second, but we need to see that our king knows. Our king knows that we need one another's love. As aliens, as foreigners here in this world where there's persecution, where people might look at you funny for what you believe. We need to love each other in this time of suffering. Our king wants that for us, that we're not in it alone. That we're not in it alone. See, he knows we need, we need each other. Let's look at verse 9, and it's going to explain then how do we foster this love for one another. It says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay? I love this. There's a simple point of this instruction. Think of it. These people are suffering. People, people are being persecuted for their faith. This is a difficult time for this church, and he gives them this simple command. Open up your homes to one another. Have each other in your homes. See, I, as we invite these fellow aliens, so to speak, in our homes, something happens, and he knows it. But that doesn't mean that this, this is an easy instruction. Why do we know it's not an easy instruction? Because he says, without grumbling. Okay? That means, I, that means my king gets it. All right? Peter's understanding what's going on. Do it without grumbling. Have people in your home without grumbling. Why? Why? Because it's, it's expensive. It's inconvenient. Having people in your home takes time. And they often linger. People make a mess. Even after you spent all morning getting it ready for them to come, they leave this big train wreck, right? Sometimes people are tiring. Only me? Okay. But our king knows that we need one another, and we need this experience in this foreign land. We need each other. And, and when something happens when you invite somebody to cross that threshold of your front door. As they cross that threshold, something starts to change in your relationship with them. You start to, to share with them differently. You start to care for them differently. You start to love them at a deeper level. See, community with like-minded aliens is so important. And those moments of having them in your home are so important. The question is, is it important to you? Do you value it? Because this world, this world will put other things on your calendar. And they will claim to be good things, but this is an instruction from our king. This is, this is the reason why, as a church, we have small groups that meet in homes. It's on the calendar week after week to hang out, to fellowship, to do community in homes with fellow believers. Why? Because we need one another. We need that encouragement. We need that accountability. We need someone to make sure that we're sober-minded and not getting intoxicated with this world. We need people to help us to be self-controlled and, 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 and to make sure we're living by God's word. 
In Proverbs 18, verse 1, it says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. You see that? The opposite of love comes when you isolate yourself. You seek your own desire. But he, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, living a solitary Christian life is stupid. We need closeness in this foreign experience. We need to encourage one another and build each other up. Friend, you weren't just made for this personal relationship with Jesus. You were called to a family, ultimately to a nation, a citizenship. We are made for one another. We are made to share God's word with one another, to share his spirit and the gifts therein with one another. We're made to share his love that he's given us. With one another. The question then is, does your schedule reflect this in 2020? That's an instruction given from our king here. That's one methodology. There's a second way that he says you can foster love with one another. Look at verse 10. You with me? Check out the Bible. Here we go. As, we ha- as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We see here that that each has received a gift and we're to serve one another with it. That means that that you as a Christian, that moment that you you accept Jesus, that he comes to live with you, his spirit is given to you, and that Holy Spirit gives you a gift for a purpose that you might share it with one another that you might use it to serve one another. And you see that language, use it. This is not optional language. The question then is, how are you planning to use it? Your service towards your fellow Christians is needed in this temporary stay. You are needed in this alien community. Your gifts that you share the way that you serve is needed in order, to, in order to build up this body to represent our king well. But something happens as we do that. Not only do we grow when we serve, but our love for the people that we serve grows too. And our king knows that. And he's encouraging us to love one another by serving one another, which ironically means makes us to love one another more. In the same way that hospitality, opening up your home, encouraging that instruction helps us to love one another more. But I love the qualifier here that he gives for how to serve one another. And it's important to us today too. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Do you see here that, that serving isn't just putting your name on a list getting a check mark and doing other people a favor. Serving here is to be done with a sense of excellence for our king with the power that he supplies to reveal him as glorious through our service and our love for one another. How do you serve? How are you planning to serve? What's the goal in your service? Is it to make him glorious? That gets us into, into the why. Why? Why stay sharp and be sober-minded? Why remember the big picture? Why have people in my house? Why serve? 
Why, why value loving one another even in the midst of my suffering, even in the midst of my fatigue, even in the midst of my frustration and my sorrow, just like this church? What did it say? It says it right there in verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In order that in everything God may be glorified. In other words, as citizens of his kingdom, it's not about me. It's not about you. I don't live for my glory, for my comfort anymore. I live for my king, amen? And that's what fuels me to love other people, even when it's difficult. We need to remember that it's to him, to him belong. Listen, to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But is that what our lives are about? Is that what we're living for? Is that what our plans reflect in 2020? Is that my heart's desire that it's not about me, it's about my king and making him to be glorious? So the world may know and make him their king. Is that what you're after this year? Will you join us this year? Will you love us this year? Will you live like an alien for our king this year? We need to sober up. We need to get our values straight. We need one another. We need to love one another. We need to open up our homes plan for it, make it happen. We need to serve one another, plan for it, make it happen. Why? For the glory of our God and King, not our own. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Just as you're bowing your head, I'm going to read a section of Scripture from 1 Peter. It says this, verse 10 of chapter 5. After you have suffered a little while, And it's just a little while, friends. The God of all grace who has caused you, who has called you, excuse me, to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, he's going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we praise you. We praise you because you have set a hope before us. We praise you because our temporary life here, our temporary struggles here and suffering here is temporary. And you have secured that hope that we will be with you one day and you will restore and you will confirm and you will strengthen and you will establish us. Lord, we are thankful that that you are king, not us. Father, we, uh, we pray that today your word would have exposed something in our hearts and it would cut it away. And Lord God, instead, Lord, I pray that you would foster in our hearts a love for you that overflows in a love for one another in our temporary stay here. Lord, I pray that you would would replace our earthly desires with heavenly ones. Lord God, I pray that we would live 
we would live for the glory of our King Jesus this year. Lord, show us how to make a step towards loving others. Give us the strength to walk it out, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.